Hello, bonjour, tante. I'm Senator Paula Simons, and this is Alberta Unbound. On October 18th, Alberta's two largest cities made history. Edmonton, the provincial capital, elected its first mayor of color, its first South Asian mayor, and its first mayor with Punjabi Sikh roots, Amarjeet Sohi. Mayor Sohi had previously served as the Federal Minister of Infrastructure and the Federal Minister of Natural Resources, and before that as a three-term Edmonton City Councillor. On the same evening, Calgary elected its first female mayor, Dr. Jyoti Gondek, an academic, businesswoman, and veteran city councillor, who just so happens to also be her city's first mayor with Punjabi Sikh roots. In fact, on October 18th, Edmonton and Calgary became the first major cities anywhere in Canada to elect Punjabi mayors, an outcome that may have been more of a surprise for people outside the province than for those of us here who were following the municipal election campaigns. Mayors Sohi and Gondek are still in the midst of moving into their offices and their new roles, so I was delighted that they could both find a little time to sit down with me for this conversation about their stories, their cities, and our province's future. A few years ago, when Ned Nenshi was elected mayor of Calgary, the national press made a huge thing. Oh, you know, a Muslim mayor, a Muslim mayor, the first Muslim mayor in Canada. I think it was also in part because at that point, Rob Ford was the mayor of Toronto. Uh, and the contrast was very notable. So as election night was looming, I had my staff look up to see if there had ever been a Canadian mayor of Punjabi origin before. And as best we can tell, there is no major city in Canada, including ones with large South Asian populations, that have ever elected a mayor with South Asian roots. And I'm sensitive because I don't want to, you know, I, I, I read Jen Gerson's column in which she said, you know, we should stop trying to convince other parts of the country that we're cool because we elect people they don't expect. We're not, you know, who are we trying to impress in Toronto? No one in Toronto is impressed. So I don't want to phrase the question that way. I want to phrase the question this way. What do you think it is about Edmonton and Calgary that make them cities where people who are not old stock Canadians have the opportunity to take on these leadership roles? And what makes you, what do you think makes them cities where people are willing to take a risk on voting some, for someone who is not a stereotypical, prototypical uh, uh, mayoral figure? I think in Calgary, for example, a lot of people came here seeking opportunity and they were very happy to have been welcomed by the city, to have been invited to be part of the community and to thrive here. And I think it's that sense of coming somewhere new and being welcomed with open arms and being successful that stays in the back of people's minds. I know it, it certainly did for me. It's stuck that this kid from Manitoba landed in Calgary and was given a chance uh, to take on a marketing role without perhaps the, the resume that was needed. And I fell in love with the city. The city gave me every opportunity and here I am, you know, giving back in a role of service. So I think people just appreciated the chance that our city gave them. And I think they're happy to invest in others that feel the same way. And Mayor Sohi? Well, I faced less barriers in this election, Paula, than I did in my 2007 election. Uh, I want to share with you an incident uh, that I had in 2007 while I was door knocking. 
I ran it. This is when you uh, were. This is when you were running for city council. Yeah, that's when I ran for city council first. Uh, when I won city council in two thousand and seven, uh, I was door knocking, and I ran into this wonderful white woman uh, who really liked what I had to say about my platform and everything else. But she had this nagging feeling that somehow, as a brown man, I would only represent brown people, and she asked me that question. And my answer to her was, you know, I will represent all Adventonians, uh, regardless of their background. So I think for, for me, why I faced less barriers in 2021, because I had the chance to prove myself. I think that is the biggest barrier for racialized uh, Canadians, is that we have to work really, really, really hard to uh, to show that we can do this job. Yeah. One of the things when we kickstarted this podcast, Alberta Unbound, uh, it was at a time when sort of Alberta was racked with these questions about, you know, our, our provincial identity, who was a real Albertan, who got to define what was a, who was a real Albertan. Um, you know, all these months later, we still seem to be caught up in this discourse of who gets to define who's a real Albertan, uh, who has ownership of that brand. So I wanted to ask each of you, I mean, obviously you are the mayors of Edmonton and Calgary, but do you identify as Albertans? And if so, what does that mean to you? Hmm. You know, I, I ad- identify myself as, as Edmontonian more than I identify myself as Albertan or even in, in, in the Canadian sense, if I'm uh, uh, looking at a, as a national identity, I associate more with my fellow Edmontonians because of that shared journey and knowing so many people in the community who came with different, who came from different countries, but with same aspirations to build a life here, right? Uh, I think sometimes we, as Albertans, are perceived to be, uh, and you, I'm pretty sure you experienced that, Paula, being in Ottawa, and I experienced that from some of my colleagues and, uh, and people visiting from other parts of uh, the country and meeting me as a minister, but they would have a different perception of Alberta. Uh, and, and I think uh, in most cases, it's not an accurate accurate. Uh, 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 description in the, in their uh, uh, what they, how they see you, but that is the reality. And uh, so, from from for me, I think I, I deeply associate more myself as a, as an Edmonton as an Edmontonian. And Jyoti, I think it's important to remember that we all are very complex creatures. And a person's identity is tied up in so many different things. So, as much as I'm the mayor of Calgary. I'm also still a mom and a daughter. And so as much as I am a Calgarian, I am still an Albertan and a Canadian as well. And so I think we, we pit identities against themselves instead of embracing the fact that human beings are complex and they have multiple identities at any given time. And so I am absolutely an Albertan when I'm representing our province on a national stage. And I'm absolutely a Canadian when I'm out in another country and someone asks me where I'm from, but my roots are here in Calgary and it's the good people of Calgary that elected me to represent them. So very much like Amarjeet, I feel like I'm a Calgarian when I'm representing myself in this role. And you're both- I, I think that's like, 
when I look back at my journey, Paula, uh, I don't know if I would have been able to be as successful if I was living in Toronto or Montreal as I have been here in Edmonton. And that is the reason that I identify myself as Edmontonian more. Um, it's not that I, I, I still consider myself Albertan to be a part of the province and, and the country, uh, but this is a community that lifted me up. This is a community that allowed me to be successful coming here with nothing other than the love and support of my brother and my sister-in-law and uh, uh, unable to speak uh, the language of the community or have no understanding of the Canadian way of life. But despite those challenges, this community gave me the opportunity, opportunity to be successful. I think that ability of Edmonton to lift each other up. I, I, it's, I, I really sense that here, right? So uh, that is why, hence that uh, deep commitment. So that segues very nicely to my next question. I mean, you are both immigrants to this country, but you have very different paths that brought you to the mayor's chairs in your two cities. And I wondered if I could ask each of you to, to tell, tell me and tell everybody who's listening a little bit uh, about how you came to Canada and how you came to Alberta uh, specifically. Now, I know I know Amarjeet's story pretty well, but I don't know uh, Jyoti's story at all. So I'm going to start with I'm going to start with you, Mayor Gondek. How how you know <laughs> like, like like the line from the from the David Byrne song? How did you get here? <laughs> yeah, you know it's um, it's interesting. We were living in England, um, so my parents moved from Punjab to England in the early '60s. Uh, my dad was pursuing a law degree in England at the time. He had already been a lawyer in India, and they ended up having me in 1969. And in 73, the environment in England was one where it was tough for my dad as a barrister to get referrals from the solicitors. There was still some pretty active racism. And so uh, mom and dad looked at Canada as a good opportunity, and they looked at a map and said, you know, Winnipeg looks really central. And so Away we went, we landed in Winnipeg. My dad moved there about a year before uh, my mom and I and my grandparents moved. And it was, it was a pretty average kind of prairie kid life. So I remember doing things like curling with uh, you know, jam pails. I remember learning how to skate outside on a pond. You know, I played basketball, I played soccer. I did all of the things that every other kid did. I just looked different than them in most of the places that I grew up. And when I was done my schooling, uh, when I was done high school in Brandon, Manitoba, I moved to Vancouver to experience a more cosmopolitan city and loved it. Loved the idea that there was all these different things I could do and just fell, in, just fell into that whole lifestyle, uh, the urban lifestyle. But I moved back to Manitoba to finish my degree. So I went back to Winnipeg, spent a couple of years wrapping up and got offered a job as a policy analyst with the government of Manitoba to write policy for um, women's shelters in that province. Really, really heavy first job. I had not contemplated ever having to think about how long can a woman stay in shelter? Can her kids come with her? And what do we do when the offender shows up with a loaded weapon? It, it really shapes you as a young person in your 20s to think about leadership requiring humility and compassion. So there I was doing my policy work. I got married and my husband was offered an opportunity in Wainwright, Alberta. 
And so we packed up and went to Wainwright. He's a geological engineer by training, but he was offered the opportunity to build a barracks block in Wainwright. So we went. And that was when I learned that people don't necessarily understand the value of a social sciences degree being applicable in business. So I wandered, wandered around looking for a job without much success until the local credit union said, you know, it seems like you might be able to do a marketing job that we are just hosting. So they interviewed me and it worked out. And that's how it opened the door to moving to Calgary. There was a position with Credit Union Central that was a marketing position regionally. I came and interviewed. They looked at my resume and said, that looks weird. It's not what we were expecting, but you have the skill set. So that's when I began to understand that, you know, data analysis, critical thinking and good communications can parlay from social sciences over into business. And that's really when things took off for me. I was able to do a lot of things in this city with different corporations. I ran my own business. I worked at the Haskane School of Business. Um, and then I looked back at the 10 years that I had spent understanding city building and ran for council in 2017. So it was, a, it was sort of a weird little journey to get here. But what's interesting to me is I'm pretty average when it comes to my upbringing, but people don't expect that because what they see looks different than what they expect from a kid who grew up on the prairies. So it's been interesting to tell my story. Yeah. Now, now Amrajit, your immigration story is, is quite different. So, I mean, I know it well because you yeah. and I have known each other a long time, but you know, maybe you can, maybe, maybe you can share with everyone else who's listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, my journey is simple. Uh, I landed in Edmonton, uh, on November 21st, 1981, because my brother moved to uh, Alberta in 1976. He first landed in Canada, in British Columbia. Uh, and he was looking for a job. At that time, BC economy wasn't doing well and Alberta was uh, getting on this uh, oil sands boom. And, uh, and a lot of people were moving to Alberta. So he moved here in 1976. And then he sponsored us as family class immigrants. Uh, 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 so my parents and I, I came together and, and we landed in Edmonton and that's where I have lived uh, uh, ever since. Uh, you know, uh, and you know, my background is obviously uh, comes from working class roots, um, uh, starting uh, my journey, mopping floors, flipping burgers at, uh, at fast food restaurants and, uh, you know, stuffing those uh, those uh, newspaper boxes, Paula, that uh, that you wrote on, and uh, but those, those don't exist anymore. Those no, no, they don't. Sadly, my 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 uh, uh, my cousin brother and I actually came at the same time, and we are we are of the same age, and we did uh, many of the same jobs. So he bought a little van, and we got a contract with Edmonton Journal uh, to, to pick up those papers at night. Uh, and we would stuff those boxes during night and uh, then uh, come home, sleep for a couple of hours and get up, uh, uh, go to school to learn English. Uh, uh, so my, in that sense, my journey is, is, is different. Uh, but my journey is also kind of relevant and related to so many other people's journeys of coming here, struggling and making ends meet and then uh, working hard to, uh, to build a life and find, find better ways to, uh, so, to support you and your family. Yeah. Jyoti, I mean, your dad was trained as a barrister, 
but I, I've read that he faced some significant barriers when he did come. What did what did you understand from that growing up? Because you're you know you're you're talking about this sort of very typical Canadian prairie childhood, but this was always in the background, I guess. Yeah, it um, it's interesting that my parents gave me every opportunity to be just like every other kid. Um, but there, there were some limitations to that. You know, I wasn't allowed to wear short shorts and mini skirts. That's just not something you do. If anyone's ever watched Bend It Like Beckham, yeah, that's pretty much it. You leave the house wearing something different than you end up at school with. Um, but, you know, my parents tried their best to, to balance this idea of raising me as a Punjabi Sikh and also letting me be who I wanted to be in a place that was new to them. And I think it was that friction between cultures that was always sort of at the back of my mind. And I was a pretty astute kid. I understood what was going on, um, but I was only five when we were in Winnipeg. And the first time somebody called my dad uh, a towel head, someone said, your dad's a genie. And I remember having those conversations with, with my dad. And I remember eavesdropping on stuff mom and dad were talking about. And it turns out that being a lawyer in Winnipeg was really not much easier at that time than it was in England. And so that's why dad removed his turban and cut his hair. And it's funny how he was immediately more accepted, uh, but it was still tough to be a practicing lawyer. So he turned to the land titles office to use his professional expertise in a spot where they needed him. And that's why we moved around so much. We were in Nipua to start off. And then we went to Portage and then dad went to Boys of Bain, but we moved to Brandon. And so that was that little small town tour wasn't something that was intentional. It was where the work took my dad. So, yes, I come from privilege because my family was very well educated, as am I. But we faced a lot of hardship and challenge to be able to do the type of work that we were trained to do as a family. So I, I can't forget the fact that that's what my family went through. And I remember the day my dad said, I'm going to grow my hair and wear my turban again. I was unbelievably proud of him. Um, and I remember thinking this is going to be, this is going to be incredibly difficult for him. And I was there to support him every step of the way. I would explain to people, you know, what it meant for my dad to wear his bug or his turban. And I would explain to them the sacrifices that he had made. And so he taught me a lot about conviction and courage and turning back to something that you had to leave for a period of time because it was more pressing to put food on the table. So you're right. It's a very average life in some ways, but some very hard lessons learned at the same time. Yeah. And Amarjeet, I mean, you talked about, you know, door knocking in 2007 and, and talking to somebody who was leery of voting for you because of, mm -hmm. as a, you know, but I presume you met racism of more blatant kinds over oh, the years. Oh, absolutely. Even, even, even during this election, I remember a couple of weeks uh, into, uh, into the election, we were door knocking. And uh, like I'm well known in Edmonton now. I, I, people recognize me. Uh, and this fellow recognized me. And uh, he yelled at me first of all, first being a liberal, you know, yes. or <laughs> holding that that position, that was kind of expected. Okay, well, you know, you're upset with Trudeau, and you yell at me and uh, and vent your anger. Uh, but then he uh, continued calling me a convicted terrorist, and uh, uh, and and you know, uh, 
trying to frame his yelling and screaming in a, in a racial way. Uh, you know, I'm 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 used to that, uh, but I try to brush it off at that time during in in that moment uh, and try to appear tough. But I came home and I was quite disturbed thinking about that being here for 40 years right? and, and really proving myself that I'm committed to this community and working hard to deliver for the community. Uh, still, you would have people out there who think you are still not worthy of their respect. Uh, it hit me hard actually in 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 in, in, in at, at that moment when I got home. Yes, you get over it and you move on because uh, you can count on those experience on your uh, you know on your fingertips, right? Vast majority of the people are pretty nice to you, uh, and they they embrace you, and, and they really value what you have done. But these incidents still prevail, uh, and uh, I just can't imagine. If there was a young Muslim hijab wearing woman running for that office, knocking on that person's door, what, how she would have experienced that and how devastating that would have been for her if the same things were said to her that were said to me, right? That is why it is so important that people like me and people like Jyoti are in public office <laughs> to, to show to people that and normalize, normalize in a way that it is okay to elect people from different perspectives, different backgrounds who look, look different than, than the normal uh, you, you would see in, in a public, public office, right? And uh, and hopefully that will change the conversation too over time and uh, bring in more more inclusion and diversity and uh, and, and more uh, embrace more people like us uh, uh, to be in the to be in the office. You are both leaders of metropolitan, urban, urbane, multicultural cities. You are both also coming into office after a very difficult summer in which we saw white supremacist rallies, sometimes framed as anti-vax rallies, but often with a strong uh, racial element to them. So you've been given mandates to lead your cities. How do you deal with this tension between uh, the fact that, you know, you represent these very diverse, uh, very culturally rich communities but also these communities where there are people who are so angry, so frightened, so hateful. Uh, how, how, how do you lead in those circumstances? I think it's incredibly important to stay focused on what our common goals are and the outcomes that everyone is looking for. We are all looking to get out of this pandemic situation. We are all looking to get into economic recovery Everyone wants to be able to have a dignified place to live. Everyone wants to be able to participate in the labor force to the best of their ability. Everyone wants to 
have a community around them that allows them to feel like they're part of something. And if you boil it down to the basics, everyone wants to feel loved and welcomed. And that's a pretty tall order. If you look at it in terms of, oh my goodness, how are we going to meet everyone's needs? But I think if you stay focused on that, of this idea that everyone wants to be a part of something that's bigger than them, and you give them the opportunities, and you provide the supports that people need to achieve those goals, and you speak up, and you stand up against the people that would try to tear us apart and try to tear that down, that's how we do it. I have to tell you, it was that first big rally on City Hall steps uh, in December that was supposed to be an anti-vax rally, and it ended up being rooted in hatred with the Proud Boys and the Soldiers of Odin. That was the tipping point for me. It was fully committed to running again. I was contemplating whether it would be Ward 3 or a mayoral run. That was the day. That's the day that broke me and also put me back together to be that much stronger. I will not tolerate that in my city. This is not the city I moved to. It will not be the city that we show to the world. The city that we put out there on display is the one that elected me, the one that cares, the one that believes in diversity and inclusion. That's the image that needs to get out to the world and we'll put an end to all of this division. Energy. You know, you and I had that conversation with on, on Ryan Jasperson's show about uh, uh, how racialized people experience things differently uh, than non-racialized experience would, uh, non-racialized people would experience them. The tiki torches and all that, racism and all that, right? So, and that was another reason I, I thought that uh, Edmonton was probably ready to have that kind of conversation about racism and discrimination. And that was one of the reasons the first thing I did here on city council on, on our inauguration meeting day, I brought forward a notice of motion that we need to take tackle racism and discrimination in a, in, in a, in a head on. Um, uh, and I saw that those were the reasons uh, that uh, I thought, you know, I needed to step up. It's interesting that one of the first things that Mayor Gondek did was to declare a, a climate crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was some instant blowback I saw from people on Twitter. And it's interesting because oil, the oil and gas industry is so integral, not just to Alberta's economy, but to Alberta's identity. And you both know this file well. I mean, uh, Jody, your husband has spent much of his career in the energy sector, working for some of the biggest uh, oil and gas companies in the province. And Amarjeet, you were the Minister of Natural Resources. Uh, You were integral to getting the TMX pipeline deal struck and getting that line built. So how, as Alberta leaders, do you find a way to confront the reality that we are dealing with climate change and climate crisis without forgetting that oil and gas are still for many the backbone of the Alberta economy and a really important part of how they see themselves as Albertans. Well, why don't I take that one since I started this whole thing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it's interesting that we create this dichotomy between Uh, being prepared to say that we have a climate emergency and being prepared to say that we support our energy production. 
they are not mutually exclusive. It is perfectly fine and acceptable in the modern age when we can see the impact of things like forest fires and hailstorms and floods right here in our province. Our province has been hit hardest by natural disasters in the past 10 years, more so than any other province in this country. So we have to have acceptance of the fact that there is a climate crisis. It does not negate the leadership that has been demonstrated in terms of energy production by companies that are located here. And all of those companies have made firm commitments to some of the strictest standards that you will see globally. They have all committed in some way to the climate. Many of them have put in targets of net zero by 2050. So I'm not saying anything that the industry itself has not said. What I am trying to do is make sure that our city is recognized as a center of excellence for cleaner, greener, more sustainable processes. The fact that we are using innovation and technology to be the best we can be, that we understand that energy production must continue to evolve over time. My point is stop fixating on the output that we get beaten up over and start focusing on the fact that we have been global leaders in socially responsible production. Let's get back to the basics of talking about what we're very good at and we are good at evolving energy production methods. That was my point. Unfortunately, we live in a very polarized world. Yeah. Well, Edmonton declared climate emergency a couple of years ago, and it put a lot of effort in developing the energy transition plan, which uh, I fully committed myself to uh, implementing. And we went beyond that by proposing to create uh, energy retrofit accelerator, committing to uh, uh, you know retrofit 30,000 homes and buildings every year to reduce emissions at the same time create jobs. Because uh, energy transition cannot be seen in isolation and it cannot be done at the back of workers. Um, you need to make sure that people are still able to have a decent well-being middle-class job to raise a family and uh, make sure that their kids are able to uh, succeed uh, and they have a decent amount of money saved to have a decent retirement. So those are the aspirations of average Edmontonians and we need to make sure that as we move forward on climate change and tackle this crisis, uh, that we don't leave people behind. Ignored. So finally, since part of my motivation to do Alberta Unbound was to sort of unpack stereotypes for Albertans, but also to tell all of my Senate colleagues and all the folks in Ottawa how different and complicated and magnificent Alberta is uh, and not necessarily what they think it is. If there is one thing that you would like people to know about your cities, Edmonton and Calgary, that they might not know, what do you want to tell them about Edmonton and Calgary? And I certainly will not suggest as an Alberta senator that I favor one city over the other, because that would be that would be most impolitic. But what would what would you like? What would you like to tell people as your elevator pitch for what makes your city the best? Go ahead, Amarjeet. Okay. I think it's people, right? Uh, people who have come from all over the world and come here for centuries and the meeting ground of indigenous 
peoples, right? And I think that ability to be here, raise a family, be part of the community and be successful. People have been doing this for centuries and people will continue to do that for centuries. And that's the story that uh, the rest of the world needs to know that Edmonton is not that, uh, uh, you know, Edmonton is very diverse. Edmonton has a rich, rich history of indigenous communities, multiculturalism, and, uh, and, and uh, that's so much happening here. Come be part of it. And that would be my message. And I would agree. I would say that Alberta has that rich tapestry and we have so much diversity and we have made so many strides towards inclusion. We're not anywhere near the end of our journey, but we have certainly started on the right path. And I would say that recognize us for our ideas and the actions that we have taken to be more progressive in our economic ventures, in our environmental commitments, and frankly, the way that we wish to support people in positions of vulnerability. We are trying to become a resilient province. And I think our two cities offer that opportunity to embrace environmental, social, and economic resilience from a very tactical perspective. So use us as the exemplar of what all good cities should be. Another thing I would say is that if someone like Amarjit Sohi, who had nothing when I came here and had very limited skills, right, and very limited ability and capacity, if this community can make me a successful person, then that's possible for everyone who wants to come. And that was my conversation with His Worship Amarjeet Sohi, the new mayor of Edmonton, and Her Worship Jody Gondek, the new mayor of Calgary. I'm so glad they could join me for this edition of Alberta Unbound, and so glad you could listen. If this was your first encounter with Alberta Unbound, I'd like to invite you to dip into our back catalogue, where you'll find some fascinating conversations with a whole range of passionate Albertans, eager to share their visions for the province they love. And if you're a longtime fan, Stay tuned for more surprising perspectives from the community leaders who call Alberta home. Alberta Unbound is produced and edited by Amit Charnalia, with technical support from Dina Dong. I'm Paula Simons, Independent Senator from Alberta. Thank you, merci, and hi hi.